2 Samuel chapter 6 is the place of our study tonight. If God said of David that he is a man after my own heart, what was there about him that so impressed the Father? I suppose that there are two or three things in the life of David that are impressive. If you were to try to define the most impressive things about his life, probably some of you might remember when he was anointed king as a little boy, an insignificant child. His father didn't even include him in the family when he listed his sons. No doubt you might, you would probably uh, mention the, the slaying of the giant. If you ask any child, what can you tell me about David, King David, he'd probably come right out with the fact that he killed the giant with a, with a sling and a rock. Some of you might remember the time he fell in sin and committed the terrible sin with Bathsheba. Unfortunately, we remember the wrong people have done. As Shakespeare said, the evil lives on, the good is interred with our bones. As a father, I think I'm impressed most of all with David as a human father. And I remember that crushing day, in, as the Bible records it, when his son was murdered. And he goes across the courtyard weeping and crying all the way up to his tower. Oh, Absalom, my son. Absalom, my son, I would to God I had died for thee. But to find out what was so impressive about David that God called him a man after my own heart. You've got to look not in the Old Testament, but you look in the New Testament, strangely enough. As a matter of fact, you turn with me to the 13th chapter of the book of Acts. And the verse is 22, and that verse gives us a clue as to why God was so impressed with this man. Now you'll see the context that Paul is delivering this sermon and he has this insight into the life of David. In verse 22 he says, After he had removed him, that is Saul, the king who preceded David, after he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after my heart. Here it is who will do all, underline, who will do all my will. What God is saying is this, I have found a man who cares about everything I care about. I found a man whose heart beats in sync with mine. So that when I look to the left, he looks to the left. When I look to the right, he to the right. I have found a man who's concerned about what I'm concerned about. I have found a man who wants what I want. Now there's some of you like that. They're very, you're very rare indeed. Not too many people do you find whose heart beats in sync with God, whose heart is hot after Him. They're a rare person indeed. Let me illustrate. If you saw a sign that said, speed limit, 35 miles an hour, that's a precept. That speed limit is 35 miles an hour in the daytime and at night. 
when it's fair weather or when it's stormy, the, the speed limit is the same. The precept is that the speed limit is 35 miles an hour, period. If you saw a sign that read, drive carefully, that's a principle. And that principle will, will vary according to, to relation or to uh, its relative. For example, you might drive carefully one way when the traffic is heavy at 4 o'clock. Driving carefully then would be different than driving carefully at 2 a.m. when the streets are empty. That's a principle. Now a man who is after God's heart is a man who cares as much about principles as he does about precepts. He is a man who is concerned about the fine print as well as the large print. He's a man who has committed himself to the details of God. Now the place is Jerusalem and David is on the throne as the king. And when David comes to the throne, the tabernacle is the central place of worship. And God has given instruction as to the building of the tabernacle. And He's given it in detail. And these details are important to God. Every detail is important to Him. And so He gives detailed instructions of the building of the tabernacle. And He gives instruction as to the furniture that's to be in the tabernacle and where it's to be placed. And He's minute in His detail of that. And Saul the king is very careless about the tabernacle. As a matter of fact, the furniture is out of place. And some have even stolen parts of the furniture, some of the furniture of the tabernacle. It's been removed. And when David is on the throne, the time he takes the throne, the tabernacle is no longer the central place of worship. And yet it was in detail God's place to meet His people. And He's concerned about the details. And so David comes to the throne and he knows that they need the tabernacle, the central place of worship. It's important to God, so it's important to him. And he's interested that the furniture is in its place, especially the Ark of the Covenant. Now I want you to give attention just a moment. I want to do a little teaching concerning the Ark of the Covenant. You've heard of it all your life, perhaps. The name Ark of the Covenant means box or chest. It was a box of chests that God had placed in His tabernacle. It was to be a rectangle. It was to be rectangular in shape, inlaid with gold on the outside, on the inside, rimmed with a rim of gold at the top. It had a covering, kind of like a grate. It was called a mercy seat. At each end of the mercy seat was a hammered gold cherubim, an angel, and his wings hovered over the mercy seat. It was on the mercy seat that the high priest sprinkled the blood of the sacrifice on the day of the atonement because on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant, God met His people in redemption. The Ark of the Covenant, the chest, the box contained a jar filled with manna, the, the rod that Aaron carried, and the tablets of the covenant. And on this place and at this place and on the covering of the ark, God met His people. Now, it seems a strange thing, furniture like that. It seems strange to us because we see everything post-Calvary. That's not important to us, but it was important to God. 
And he gives the instruction concerning the Ark of the Covenant in the 25th chapter of the book of Exodus. And he tells us, he told them how the Ark of the Covenant was to be transported. Now watch carefully. On each corner of the Ark were gold rings. And they had a, a rod, a pole that was covered with gold, inlaid with gold. And these, these poles were to be slipped through these rings. And the Ark was not to be touched by human hands but it was to be carried by four Levites. Only the Levites were to carry the Ark of the Covenant. And a, and a tribe within the Levites were even assigned. They were called the Kohites. And only these Levites were to carry the Ark of the Covenant, not to touch it, to carry it on their shoulders with this pole slipped through the rings. And God gave the details, and God was concerned about every detail. I want you to read some of this stuff with me as I begin reading in chapter 6 of, of 2 Samuel. And we'll read down through verse uh, 7 and pause. Now David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him to Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the very name of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned above the cherubim. And they placed the ark of God on a new cart. What's the ark of the covenant? What's the ark doing on a cart? Because God had given specific detailed instruction that the ark was to be carried with the poles through the ring on the shoulders of the Levites. Now they got a new cart. <laughs> well, at least they did that. But what's this ark doing on a cart? God gave specific instruction about. Watch. And they brought it on a new cart to bring it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill of Uzzah, and Ohau, the sons of Abinadab, were leading the new cart. So they brought it with the ark of God from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. The hill was walking ahead of the ark. Meanwhile, David and all the house of Israel was celebrating before the Lord with all kinds of instruments made of fir wood, with lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. But when they came to the fleshing, freshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out toward the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen nearly upset it. And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, and God struck him down there for his irreverence, and he died there by the ark of God. Now, to us, that's pretty repulsive. I mean, here was a man who was just trying to steady the ark to keep it from falling, the oxen having caused the ark, the, 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 the cart to, to, to shake. But this man had been given specific instructions as a Levite not to touch the ark. And God is very concerned about the details of his will. And he was not punished without knowledge. He, he, it was not an innocent thing he did. In his arrogancy, he reached out and disobeyed God's specific instruction. And God is very concerned about the details. And this would never have happened if David had done the right thing. Well, what is the right thing? Listen to me. The right thing is to do it, to do it God's way 
to the finest detail. He took a convenient route. He took a way of expediency. He was doing a good thing. He was bringing the ark back. He was reestablishing the tabernacle as the central place of worship. He was doing what he thought was best and right, but he wasn't, he wasn't doing it God's way concerning every detail. And so God was angry. And David got angry. Look at this strange paradox in verses 8 through 12. And David became angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. So David was afraid of, of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? How can I get it back here? And David was unwilling to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David which he, with him, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite, Thus the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Now, what does it mean to be a man after God's own heart? I want to point out one thing at this point. Who is there among us tonight who would not like to be called a man after God's own heart? A man that impresses God. A man after God's own heart is this. He's a man who is sensitive when he does wrong. And he owns up to it. And he wants to make it right. The other day we were having a kind of a discussion in my Sunday school class. I love that class. The best thing I do on any day of the week is what I do in there on Sunday morning. I love that class. We were discussing in that class the other day, what does it mean, you know, what, what about a, a Christian who, who sins? I shared with my class one of the things I learned from Dr. T.W. Hunt when he was here. That the thing that so impressed God about David was not that David was a sinless man. We all know he wasn't. And we all know that he sinned a sin that most of us would never sin and will never sin. But the thing that impressed God about David was that his heart was bent toward God so that when he did wrong, he was, he was sensitive toward that. He was sensitive about that. He was broken about that. And he wanted to do right. It seems to me that the people we feel to be people after God's heart are the people who live sinlessly. They're not. It's the people who, when they sin, and we all sin, are sensitive to that. It breaks our heart. We feel the same way toward that sin that God does. And we want to make it right. And David said, how can I get the ark back? He should have known how. He he hadn't done his homework. And when you don't do your homework, you get in trouble. God just said to him, in essence, check my word. I've told you all about that. When you don't live your life according to His Word, you always get in trouble. I've written a lot about how to get my ark back, how to carry the ark, how to transport it. The Levites are to carry it. But who cares about Levites? Who cares about rings of gold? Who cares about rods on men's shoulders? I tell you, God does. And we ought to care about what God cares about. And here's the second characteristic of a man who is after God's heart. 
He's a man that cares about things the way God cares about them. And David is moving in that direction now. He's moving in that direction now. He's beginning to get the point. Here's the point, that God cares about details. He cares about the instruction he's given. And if a person is going to be after God's heart, he's going to care about it the way God cares about it. Now God said, uh, David said, I'm not going to bring this ark back. But he changed his mind. Look at verse 12. Now it was told King David saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom, all that belongs to him on account of the ark of God. And David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom unto the city of David with gladness. Let me show you something I found the other day. I want you to turn to the book of 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles. This is one of these deals when you see it, it just kind of, you just kind of say, Eureka, that's great, I found it. This is a parallel passage to the one we just read, 1 Chronicles chapter 15, verses 11 through 14. Read it with me. Then David called for Zadok and Abiathar the priest and for the Levites and said to them, You are the heads of the father's household of the Levites. Consecrate yourselves, both you and your relatives, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel to the place I have prepared for it. That a way to go, David. Now you're getting on the message. Because, he, look, he says, because you did not carry it at the first. Because you didn't do it the way God told us to do it. Because you didn't carry it that way at the first. The Lord our God made an outburst on us. For we did not seek Him according to the ordinance. We didn't do it His way exactly. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. What's the message here? Well, the message is the message of your life. Now watch carefully. The difference between a carnal Christian who has no power and a spiritual man of God who has power with God and with man is details. And the spiritual man does it God's way and he would do it no other way than God's way. And the difference between a church that is powerless before the world and a church that has power with God and with men is a church that is committed to doing all of the will of God, to every detail. The message is this, that the difference between spiritual Christian and the carnal Christian is that the spiritual Christian does it detail by detail according to the instruction of God. Now, if God is displeased when man just kind of, you know, even does, you know, does it good, he does right, but he doesn't do it exactly like God wants him to do it, is God any different today than he was then? I don't think he is. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same God who was committed to doing it detail to detail to detail is the same God on the throne now as he was then. Now, look what happens. And so it was, verse 13, that when the, back to 2 Samuel 6, look at here, you talk about details. So it was that when the bearers of the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. 
took six paces, killed an ox and a fat. Took six more paces, did another. And he, I mean, he's done it by the letter, by the detail. You know what you're thinking? You know what you're saying? You're saying to your mind, if a person lives like that, he'll be so bound up. You can't just live like that, take six paces and ask God what He wants you to do next. You'd be so bound all the time. Was David bound? Look at here. And David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel were bringing up the Lord of the ark of the Lord with shouting and with a trumpet. Let me, let me tell you something. When a man does God's will to the letter, does it exactly like God wants him to do it? He's not bound, he's freed. And joy comes when we do that. I tell you, the excitement of the Christian faith is caught up and bound up in doing God's will exactly like God wants it done. And the problem with so, much, so many of us in our Christian life is, is that we just kind of do it halfway. We do a lot of good things, but there's no joy in that. There's bondage in that. Freedom comes when a man obeys God to the letter. And the world system says, oh, you don't have to you know, do all of that. But God puts us to the test. And I think that the test comes at the point of details. And when a man is sold out to doing it, Lord, and when David had finished offering the burnt offering and the peace offering, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. He, he distributed to all the people, to all the multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread and one of the dates and of the ray. I mean, he's just passing out goodies. He's, he's excited. I mean, he's happy. There's joy in doing the will of God. Now look at verse 20. When David returned to bless his household, there's Micah. And you say, I thought he got rid of her a while back. Well, he did. She quit him. Went off to got her another husband, didn't like him, came back to David. Now they're back together. They should have never gotten married. They're absolutely incompatible, David and Mike. Reminds me of uh, Lady Astor just hated Winston Churchill. One day she, she said to him, If you were my husband, I would put arsenic in your tea. Churchill looked at her and said... If I were your husband, I would drink it. <laughs> they, they were totally incompatible, Michael and David. Now, now look at what happens here. Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel distinguished himself today. She's mocking him. Oh, you really, you really look great, big boy. He said, you, he uncovered himself, the king, the eyes of his servants' maids, is one of the foolish ones, shamelessly uncovers herself, himself. You made a fool out of yourself today. Let me say a word about praise. It's a good book, Hallelujah Factor, and you need to turn in that book to this account in there. Well, Jack Taylor makes a good point about, at this point. He says that sometimes when you're all freed up, 
you know, to praise the Lord, the people who are not so free have, have trouble with you. Let me say a word about uh, lifting hands in worship. It's my firm conviction. If a person feels that's a part of his worship to God, let him lift his hands and we ought to rejoice that he can and will. We have a problem sometimes because we're not so free with the people who are so free. That's our problem, not theirs. And Jack Taylor says that the problem sometimes is ignorance, sometimes it's pride, most of the time it's tradition. Well, let me tell you, when old David got happy, he didn't care whether Michael liked it or not. Because when you get freed up to worship God and to praise Him, it doesn't matter that some folks have a trouble, little problem with you. He just praised the Lord. Now look at what happens to Michael. And so David said to Michael, it was before the Lord. He said, I wasn't, I wasn't dancing for your sake. <laughs> I wasn't doing that for your sake. Be careful when you do those kinds of things in worship that somebody might have a tr problem with that you're doing them to the Lord. You know, I enjoy uh, clapping in worship. Sometimes I wonder if the clapping is really for the Lord. If we can do all that, be sure that it's, it's to the Lord. It's my only warning. He said, I wasn't doing it for you. I was doing it for the Lord who chose me above your father. Now he gets a little dig in there. <laughs> you get that? Is that hilarious or not? Here's this woman he can't get along with. He said, I was praising the Lord who chose me to be king above your daddy. You know, just took the knife and kind of twisted it. <laughs> Got a good one there. Who appointed me ruler of the people of Israel, people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore, I will celebrate before the Lord. I wish we would. I will celebrate before the Lord. And I will be more lightly esteemed than this and will be humble in my own eyes. But with the maids of whom you have spoken with them, I will be distinguished. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. I'm not sure what that means. It may mean that God struck her barren because she ridiculed a man who was praising the Lord. And that was the greatest curse that any Jewish woman could ever experience. Or it might be that David never touched her sexually after that night. Whatever it means, it means this. That if a man is freed up to praise the Lord, let him praise the Lord. Don't get too many amens in a Baptist church. You get talking. I learned two things from this. Number one, watch this. Two great lessons. I want you to jot these down. Hear me, young people. This is helpful, I think, for you. The better, the better you know where you stand with the Lord, the freer you will be. The better you know where you stand with the Lord, the freer you will be. You won't care about public opinion. You won't care about the consensus the better you know where you stand before the Lord, the freer you will be. It won't matter to you whether it's popular with your friends or not. If you know God is pleased and you're after His heart, 
It won't matter whether other folks like it or not. Second lesson. The freer you are before the Lord, the more confident you will become. I love it. The freer you are before the Lord, the more confident you will become. It breeds confidence. It gives assurance and power. It makes you invincible. I'm doing what God wants me to do. Therefore, nothing, nobody can stop me. You'll have to kill me to stop me. A little lesson about David and the ark. Let's pray together. Father, help us to understand the message that's before us. The message that what you're concerned about is not generality, not generic religion, but the details of a God of purpose who has a will and a plan. He wants us to follow. Give us that deep conviction. And help us to know, Father, that when we are obeying your will to the letter of the law, that we are then freed up, and the joy comes, and power comes, and victory comes. I pray you'll draw us to that kind of obedience. For I ask in Jesus' name. We have three invitations tonight. An invitation first for you to give your heart and life to Christ. Now there is a clearly defined plan of salvation. Repentance from sin. Faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Commitment of faith to Him by your life. Perhaps to rededicate yourself to God, there is a clearly defined will for you day by day. Day by day. Maybe to join the church. Place your life here with us. We want you to do what God wants you to do, but we want you to do it exactly like He wants you to do it. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come. <laughs>